Here's what the scripture says in Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We're continuing our study in the book of Philippians. We paused for the Christmas season towards the end of November. This morning we're looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Now, if you're planning a trip, what you would normally do is, first of all, you would choose where you're going to go. Then after you're going to choose where you're going to go and what you do, one of the things you have to figure out at some point in the planning process is answer this question how do we get there? How do we get there? You may need directions, or you may make, have, to, have to make a decision in regard to the form of transportation you're going to take. You're going to drive. You're going to take a train. You're going to take a bus. You're going to fly. Uh, you're going to hitchhike. I don't know. Whatever you might want to do. And so you say, well, how do we get there? And, and what we want to look at this morning from God's Word in the book of Philippians is understanding we're not in heaven yet. Are we clear on that? Anybody hazy on that? I don't know. Okay, we're not in heaven yet. How do we get there from here? So the title of the message today is From Here to Heaven, and really it's this week and next week. The message this week and next week, they kind of work together, uh, but if you miss next week, that's all right. Uh, It's online, I suppose. Uh, But we're going to look at from here to heaven. What do we need to think about? What do we need to know? What do we need to believe? What do we need to do? And there's a number of things that come up from the Scripture as Paul thinks about believers who have said, We are in Christ, and everything that is true of us in Christ is true now. However, we're not home yet, so what does it mean to be in Christ and to live our life toward home, from here to heaven? So the first thing he says, and it's quite clear, from here to heaven, first thing, watch out. First thing is a warning. He says, this is verses 1 through 7, it's it's just one big warning. He says, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And I'm going to repeat some things to you that I've said before, either in person or in writing. And it's no trouble at all for me to repeat these things because it's good for me to repeat them. It's good for you to hear them. And then he gives them a stern warning. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the dogs. 
Now, what we need to pay attention to here, what he's describing is a scene we may be familiar with. If, if there's a scene where there's a, a crime scene and it's a, they haven't caught the bad guy yet, the, the police will come to the scene and they're going to need to secure the scene. And, and what the police will do is they will assume everybody's a bad guy until they figure it out you're not the bad guy. And the reason they do that is because sometimes what the bad guy is going to do is he's going to try to blend in with everybody else. And, and for the safety of the officers and the safety of everybody around, they got to figure out in this crowd of people, is there a bad guy in this crowd of people? This is what was happening to the believers in Philippi. People were coming and going in the church. There were also itinerant uh, preachers who were coming and going through the city of Philippi. And Paul was saying, you need to watch out, not for the things you and I might normally think he would warn them watch out watch out for that evil bad world out there with all its naughty stuff he's not talking about that he's saying watch out for religious people watch out for people who seemingly are following Christ but aren't watch out for those dogs now this was a significant insult this was a terrible thing to say about somebody in fact in some ways we ought to question the apostle paul's walk with christ that he could call somebody a dog i can't i would i would try to think of something to say comparable today but if i were to say it you would all get mad at me and you say you can't say that so whatever you think i'm not allowed to say think that and that's what paul's saying got it don't say it everybody around you will be offended Okay, so he said, look out for these dogs, these evildoers. What are these horrible evildoers? What are these people doing? Oh, these are certainly people staying up late having drunken parties. He's not talking about them, those people. It's so interesting. It's so counterintuitive, his warning. His warning is this. Pay attention. Watch out for religious people. And pay attention. He says, watch out because what they will do is they will rob something from you which is critically important. So think about it this way. We're saved. If you've put your faith in Christ for salvation and forgiveness of sins, you've been made righteous in Christ, and you're anticipating one day going home to be with Christ, either through a funeral or through Christ's return. One of those is better than the other. And, uh, but you're not home yet. Has anybody as a Christian in your Christian life, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, has anybody... Uh, in, you don't have to raise your hand, just think about it. Have you ever sort of said, I wonder, how are you supposed to do this? Anybody ever said, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm trying to be a Christian. I live in this world. Guess what? The world is kind of crazy. Now, we don't have a new kind of crazy. It's always been this crazy. It's just every generation that is the current generation think they're living in the craziest time. So we don't have a new kind of crazy. It's just sin of a different type. And so we think, well, how in the world am I supposed to live as a Christian today? And so in that vacuum of how in the world am I supposed to live as a Christian, unscrupulous religious leaders come in and they say, I'll tell you how to live as a Christian. I'll give you a list of things that good Christians do. Let me show you exactly how a good Christian lives in this world. And I'm going to give you a list of the 10 important things Christians do. And if you're doing these things, you know you're a good Christian. Now, some of us, you hear that and say, oh, I don't, I don't like that idea. You can't tell me what to do. I believe in grace. But just for a moment in your heart, isn't there some sense of comfort of saying, okay, so if I just do these 10 things, I'm dialed in, right? 
isn't there a bit of, okay, so just the 10 things? I do those things? There's, an, uh, there's something appealing to this notion of to be a good Christian, do these 10 things, don't do these 10 things, good to go, see you in heaven. And religious le- leaders and teachers know that, and so they come in and they give us a list of things. So in Philippi, a, a, a conglomerate of lots of different kinds of people and knowing many Christians understood the Jewish tradition, they were coming in and they were saying Christian men must get circumcised because Jewish men were circumcised. And if you are a Christian, because Christ said he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. If you are a Christian, to honor Christ, you must get circumcised. And it is also a symbol of saying, I honor the law, and I will seek to obey the law code. And this seems to make a lot of sense. And Paul comes in, and look what he describes people who are telling people to get circumcised as Christians. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Does that make you squirm a little? Good, it's supposed to. That's the why he wrote it. He's trying to be offensive on purpose to get you thinking. You think by doing something good, you are honoring God. The only thing you're doing is what? It's gross. I'm sorry, it's mutilating the flesh. He said, you're not doing anything because they have come in to try and provide for you a way for you to feel good that everything's dialed in. Watch out for people who will come in and give a to-do list on what good Christians do and what good Christians don't do. The error these teachers were making and the Philippian believers were making are, I am saved by grace, but to be a good Christian, I've got to work my tail off. Good Christians get circumcised. Good Christians look religious. Good Christians go to synagogue. Good Christians attend church every Sunday. Good Christians memorize scripture. Good Christians give their money away. Good Christians don't go to rated R movies. Good Christians go to rated R movies, but they check the internet first to see if it has the F word. I don't know what the list is now. I have trouble keeping up with the list. Good Christians don't drink. No, good Christians drink. Uh, They only drink microbrews. I don't know. And we have this list. And Paul says, anyone who has a list is a dog. That seems offensive. Maybe he should be more polite. He has no interest in being polite. The error we make and the error the believers were making in Philippi because of the error of these uh, unscrupulous religious leaders is I am saved by grace, but the Christian life is lived by works. And the question is, do I look Christian. And Paul says, okay, I'll play your game. Let's see who looks the most religious. He says, if anybody wants to put confidence in your ability to do a to-do list, how about me? I was born and circumcised on the eighth day. Beat that. Oh, you got saved in your 30s and you were circumcised? Good for you. Not as good as mine. Mine was done the day it was supposed to be done, Paul says. Not only that, I'm, a, I'm of the people of Israel. So you, as a Gentile believer, you want to pretend you're Jewish? You're not as Jewish as I am. I am Jewish on Jewish. Born, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the good ones. He's not a Reubenite. He's not an Ephraimite. Certainly not of the tribe of Dan. Oh, my goodness, what a train wreck. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got to read your Old Testament. I'm a Benjamite. 
Benjamites. First king of Israel was a Benjamite. There was a group of 800 Benjamites who could sling stones with their left hands at a hair and not miss. These guys were tough hombres in the Hebrew. <laughs> Speaking of, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Hebrew people looked at him and said, that dude is Hebrew. As to the law, a Pharisee. He obeyed the law, added laws to obey them because the regular law wasn't strict enough for him. In terms of zeal for the law, he persecuted the church because the church wasn't following the law close enough. He says, who wants to play church to-do list with me? And everybody says, no, you win. And look what he says about his church to-do list, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I count as a loss. Anything that I might have in my life that was done by my effort to indicate that I am good, I consider a deficit. Anything done by my effort, I count as a loss if it means gaining Christ. He can't be beat, but he considers all of his religious work a deficit because it takes away from the notion of getting his righteousness from Christ. He develops this elsewhere in Romans chapter uh, 2. I think it might be up on the screen. He says this about circumcision. This is Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Excuse me. The circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. Okay, so you want to be circumcised, great. That's got a ton of value as long as you want to obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Uh, that's bad news. So if you want to get righteous by Christ through circumcision, great. Go get circumcised. Uh, do it old school. No anesthetic. Come on, man up. Okay. But just keep in mind that as soon as you break the first law, that circumcision doesn't count anymore. Excuse me? So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? He's saying, wouldn't somebody who didn't get circumcised in the flesh, because they were obedient to God, be considered circumcised? And the answer is yes, they would then. He who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn the ones who have the law code and break it but are circumcised. So here's the point he's making. This is verse 28. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the what? Heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The question is not whether or not in my body I can be obedient. The question is, is my heart set aside for God himself? That is Paul's question. You can be religious all day long until the cows come home. If your heart is not set on Christ, you have no righteousness. That's what he's saying. And if you want to play religious games, he says, let's play. I win. But I consider my win a loss if I don't gain Christ. In the gospel, we are trusting that Christ has given us a new heart. When we put our faith in Christ for forgiveness, we're trusting we are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. We are given a new heart. And that heart is Christ's heart, filled by the Spirit, that we might be set aside for him. Everything else on the outside is merely a facade. We don't need a facade. We need a new heart. 
That's what we need. We don't need religion. We need life from Christ that will transform how we think and how we act on the inside. Go back to Philippians chapter 3. The key verse here is verse 7, Philippians 3, 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Just a quick question on this before we move to the next section. How do you, I know I am good? I'm a Christian. I want to follow God. How do, know, how do I know I am good? What is it in your mind? How do you say, okay, here's how I know I'm good. Uh, now, just from talking to a couple of people, mostly Todd and Jeff. No, I'm kidding, Todd. <clears throat> most of us, now not all of you, but just most of us and those of us who are honest, uh, the way we feel I'm good is there's one or two sins that, man, they're just, they're just kind of tough to get, out, get over. We just can't shake it. Uh, we just can't get over it. I don't know what it is for you. It seems like for everybody it's something a little different. Everybody's made different. And so there's a sin that you just struggle with that's always been a fight. I don't know if it's addiction. I don't know if it's envy. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know if it's greed. I don't know. Whatever it is. You're like, well, I hadn't thought of that. Now that's it. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> so you have this sin, it's this, and you, and you want to get over it, but you also kind of don't want to get over it because you kind of like it because it's fun. Sin is fun. That's the problem. And so you feel good if you don't do that sin for a little while. Am I right? I mean, so how do I feel good? I feel good if I don't do this thing for a little while. Now, I don't care about the 20 other things I'm doing wrong. But I'm not doing that thing anymore, so I feel, I feel good. I feel clean. I feel righteous. It's been a few weeks since I did X, so therefore I feel somewhat righteous. Or you may do it the other way. You say, I feel good if you have some sort of religious or spiritual habit in your life that you feel like you've been relatively disciplined about doing. Maybe uh, you uh, put a track on the waitress's table along with a $50 tip. Please, don't just leave the track. Are, you, are people still doing that? Don't do that. You say, well, that seems kind of legalistic. Well, on this one, I'm going to be legalistic. Don't just leave a track. <laughs> okay, so, you, yeah, or you share the gospel with your next-door neighbor. Or you may, maybe you, you made a, a, like we did this morning, say, I'm going to, there are some things in my life I want to get in order, and you start getting some things in order. You, you have some habits in your life that you're, you're pleased about. Hey, I've been reading the Bible on a somewhat routine basis. Uh, maybe you've had um, uh, some patience at home. Not patience like you're a doctor. Patience is in, like, not losing your temper. You say, hey, I feel good. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, getting, I'm getting some things dialed in. What, how do I know I am good? And what Paul is saying is, if any of those things are not Jesus, you've missed it. It's not to say we should sin. It's not to say we shouldn't develop good habits. Those don't make me feel good or not good. How do I know if I'm righteous? Jesus. Because I'm righteous, I want to say no to sin. And because I have made righteous, I want to seek him through his word and prayer. But I don't feel righteous because those things do or don't happen. Do you see the difference? And that's what Paul is saying. Being religious is not how we become good or how we feel good. We are righteous in Christ alone. Now, here's another question. How do I know if others are good? And you, I know what you, I would never even think that question. You're such a liar. How do you know if somebody else is spiritual? Somebody said it this way. I can't remember the author. It's an author of some kind. Something, nothing is more irritating than people who sin different than me. Okay, so how do you know if somebody else is good? Now, I'm not going to say you would ever judge your spouse. How do you know if your spouse 
is righteous. No, don't answer it now. Did somebody answer out loud? Hey, no, I'm not even going to take the counseling appointment. Sorry, I, there's nothing I can do for you. All right? How do I know if someone else is good? Well, we do the same thing. It's just we have a much harsher metric for them. We do the same thing. Well, what kind of bad things do they do? Oh, you go to that show? Oh, you went to that play? You went to that concert? Oh, you had that in your refrigerator? Oh, you spend time with that person socially? Wow, I've heard that they do these other things. I'm, I'm surprised you would be seen with them publicly. Oh, you, you don't attend church as regular as I do. Oh, you didn't have that verse memorized. Oh, that's weird that you didn't know the reference for that. Huh, interesting. We don't say it out loud, just kind of throw the... And now we have these standards. How do I know if someone else is good? How does the Apostle Paul by the Scripture tell us, how do we know if somebody else is righteous? Are they in Christ? Yeah, but what if they sin much different and worse than me? It is a guarantee nobody is sinning as bad as you, so you don't have to worry about it. How do I know if someone else is righteous? Are they in Christ? End of story. If I decide if somebody else is good enough by them being good enough, I am acting like a dog people should watch out for. How do I know if somebody is righteous? The question is, are they in Christ? Because in Christ, they are righteous. Critically important. From here to heaven, number one, watch out for the dogs. Try not to be one. Where we're going uh, is the fuel for how we keep going. So let's look at verse 8. Where are we going? We're going to heaven. If you're going on a long trip, you need to stay motivated to get there. For example, if you're maybe driving down to an amusement park in Southern California, or maybe you're driving uh, to uh, a beautiful wilderness in uh, the plains, what you say is you're driving out there, and hours and hours are going by. Okay, how are we going to get there? Hey, we're almost there, and it's going to be awesome when we get there. And so that anticipation of where we're going provides the fuel to keep going. So from here to heaven, the next thing Paul tells us is to look forward. First he said, watch out. Next thing he says is, look forward. Verse 8, indeed, Paul says, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look down at verse 10 of Philippians 3. He wants to know him and the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's hope is the resurrection. His hope, his anticipation, everything he's hanging his hat on is in eternity, the resurrection of the dead. So his motivation to set aside the things of this life is not merely some sense of martyrdom. His motivation to set aside the things of this life is the fact that he is going to gain Christ. From here to heaven, we look forward saying, I don't need this world to make me satisfied. I count that stuff as a loss, not because I have a martyr complex, but instead because I'm a smart investor. I'm going to set aside my dollar bills so I can pick up $100 bills. That's all he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to set aside the stuff that has no value that I might gain that which actually has value and that which lasts forever. So what Paul is doing here in verses 8 through 11 is he's acting like an accountant. But his, his books look very different. 
on his books, he has religious deeds. And then on the other side, he has forgiveness in Christ. Most religious people would count the religious side of the ledger as the assets. This is how I know everything's good is because I'm religious. Paul says the opposite. The religious side of my ledger are my deficits. The positive side of my ledger is Christ alone. And all he is doing is saying, the more of my deficits I can set aside that I can gain Christ, the better. Because the more I have of Christ, the more I have. And so from here to heaven, what he's saying is, look forward. Everything I have or want or need is found in Christ. And his goal is to gain Christ in his righteousness through faith and to live in Christ in his righteousness uh, day in and day out. Look at verse 9. Or second part of verse 8, beginning of verse 9. The sentences are in weird spots. Or maybe the verses are in weird spots. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This is the second time Paul has been offensive in this passage. It's certainly, the word for rubbish certainly wouldn't be a swear word, but it would be a word you wouldn't say in polite company. And what he is saying is here, all of my religious deeds that might indicate I'm a good person, I count those as filth, refuse, the worst part of your garbage. You know when you go out, my garbage comes Monday morning, you got to pack it down, you know, and you're packing it down, that's good until you hit a wet spot. You ever done that? And you're like, oh, that's dis- I don't even want to know what it is. I don't. Please don't tell me what it is. I just am going to go rinse it off or cut off my arm at the elbow. One of the two. So what he's saying, that, that wet spot in your garbage you stick your hand to, that's what he considers his religion. He says that rubbish, that filth that we would otherwise be nauseated at in order that he might have Christ. He says this in verse 9. He considers all rubbish that I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, but having a righteousness that comes through Christ. So what he's doing is I want to look forward to my life in Christ for eternity to give me the fuel to stay in Christ even now. Here's what he says over in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I think it'll be up on the screens if you don't want to turn there. He says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He, Paul says here in Romans chapter 8, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I consider when we get to heaven, the sufferings of the losses we experienced here today will pale in comparison to the glories we will experience there. So what he is saying is, I want my delight and my glory today to be the same that will be my glory for all of time. My delight and my glory for all of eternity will be Christ. So I want my delight and my glory for today to be Jesus. And anything that might indicate I have a righteousness of my own other than Christ, I set aside and consider it a loss. I am righteous in Christ alone, and righteousness in Christ alone are my desire. Okay, flip back to Philippians chapter 3 if you had turned away from there. This is just to conclude this part of it. He says this in verse 10. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection that I might share in his sufferings and become him like his death that in any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What he is saying here, 
I want to live in the power of Christ in my day-to-day life, not in the power of my ability to be good in my day-to-day life. I am trusting that when my funeral occurs, I will be raised from the dead because Jesus is able, and by the same power, I will trust that I am able to live today because Jesus is able. Another way of saying that, that is this. I need to repent of my good deeds as much as I need to repent of my bad ones. I know you don't believe me. Here, let's try it again. Has anybody ever done something good to reap some sort of benefit? No? Of course you have. Of course we have. Yeah. Okay, you go and you do the dishes, hoping the laundry will get done. I know you've never done this. Of course, we assume, if you're the dish doer, that doing dishes is much more difficult than doing the laundry. The laundry, all you do is throw the clothes and turn it on. Right? So if I do this, then therefore this other thing, if I'm doing something to be righteous, so if, if I show up in church, so that way I can mark off the, okay, I'm a church attender card. If I'm nice to somebody because Christians are nice to people, if I wave somebody in, to the road, I'm going to wave you in because I'm a Christian. Christian over here, waving you in. We've completely missed the point. We oftentimes need to repent of our false righteousness as much as we need to repent of the things we're doing wrong. Are we trying to do things the right way to gain God's favor? Now, there is an entire realm of, um, I am, well, Christianity-ish that is built on this notion of doing things the right way to get God's favor. We call it the, what do we call it? Prosperity dealio. I think that's the technical term. So what these people believe, most of them are on TV, uh, is they will tell you if you give X amount of dollars, then you will get X amount of dollars back. And usually if you give them your money, God will give you his money. Now, I always say, you know what, I don't think there's a need for a middleman in this situation. You can go to God and get his money if he wants to give you money. I'm being silly. Making sure you know that. So, but, that, but all that is, is listen, if I do something righteous, then God has to give me something back, doesn't he? That's all prosperity stuff is. If I do something good, God owes me a favor. Okay, listen, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. You had better hope that God doesn't give you what you deserve. Okay, that's all you need to keep in mind. The gospel says, thank the Lord. He doesn't give me what I deserve. And all the good stuff he has seen fit to give me, thank you, God, that you're just that nice. But certainly it's not because I've done something good with my life. Certainly not. And we need to repent of this notion. And you will notice this most when your life falls apart. God, how can you do this to me when I have done all these things for you? Anybody ever said that? Don't raise your hand. We've all said it. Of course. That's just simply a sense of self-righteousness. God, you owe me. I've done all these good stuff. How could you possibly give me this uh, unemployment or this disease or break and, uh, lose this relationship or whatever it might be. The wheels are coming off, God. How could this happen? You owe me. The guy on the TV said if I sent him a thousand bucks, this stuff wouldn't happen. And now all we're, we need to understand when we have that in our heart, which we all do, is we need to repent of the fact that we're holding on to our liabilities. I've been a good person, God. You owe me. No. Jesus was perfect. God, you don't owe me at all. And thank you that what you have given me, I didn't deserve. All right. From here to heaven. Number one, watch out. Number two, look forward. Number three, press on. 
press on. Look at verse 12. Paul says this. Now, not that I've already obtained all this or figured out uh, the resurrection of the dead, he says, or not only that I am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. So Paul's uh, viewpoint here, his analogy here, is the viewpoint of a race. So if you're running a long race, you go through several different stages in a race. There's the beginning of the race. It's real exciting. Everybody's happy, happy, yay. There's about halfway through the race where you uh, hit this wall. And you're like, no, I think I hit the wall. And then about a mile later, you actually hit the wall where you question all of your life's decisions. That goes through it. And then you get towards the end, and you can see maybe a little ways off, depending on how it's laid out. You see the finish line. Now what happens there? Oh, man, we're almost home. This is the easiest thing I've ever done. I can't wait till next year. Yay. And so you run. And so this, Paul has us in this, in this figure of speech running towards the finish line. It's just right there. It's just right there. And what he's saying is press on because we're, we're almost home. We're as close to our funeral as we have ever been. Isn't that fantastic? He said, well, that's depressing. Not if you're a believer. Are you kidding me? We're almost home. And he's saying since the finish line is, man, it's just right there. Let's just get after it. Let's just live this thing knowing we don't have to be righteous. Let's just run it out. Let's press on living our life knowing Christ has made us righteous. And since he has made us righteous, how then should I live? And he says, I want to make my own the gospel of Christ. That's what he's saying. I want to make it my own day in and day out. How do I own this? How do I assure myself in my heart by the power of the spirit? I am righteous, not because I am good, but because Jesus is perfect. I want to make it my own day in and day out. How do I know and believe the gospel more? See, many of us were taught the way we live the Christian life is to get saved and then learn how to be good. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says right here, quite plainly, the Christian life is to get saved and realize you are good. Look what he said. You don't believe me. I can see blank stares. You're a liar. No, I'm not a liar. I'm just reading the Bible to you. I press on. To make sure I'm a good Christian boy, he says. Are you looking at verse 12? Are you even checking me? I press on to make it, the truth of the gospel, to make it my own. To own it. To know it. To believe it. If you're a Christian, have you ever woken up on any given morning and saying, I'm not sure? Yeah, because we're pressing on. It's, we're almost home. Jump in your Bible. What does it say again about me today? What does it say again about Christ and his work for me today? I need to make the truth of the gospel that Jesus saved sinners like me my own. I need to make it my own again today. And I need to make it my own again tomorrow. He is saying we need to pursue Jesus enthusiastically because it's just right there. It's just right there. If you're not convinced that life goes fast, look for some people who's look like they got some miles on them. I don't know how to say that nice. <laughs> some of you are going to get asked. You're gonna, I, thought, I didn't know I was that guy. Because <laughs> the older you get, the quicker it goes, doesn't it? When you're a little kid, the hours tick by. And then pretty soon the days tick by. And then you get to a certain point, the decades are flying by. We pursue Jesus enthusiastically because the finish is right there and are we going to win? Yes. The victory's done. We won at the cross. When he said it's finished, the, the race ended at the cross. 
we're just going to run it out. We're just going to go there and see what it's like to win. The victory is assured. So press on. This is not religion. This isn't press on to see how good I can be. It's press on to see how much of Jesus I can have. Do I believe him today that he made me righteous? How, by faith in Christ, can I make it my own? How can I enjoy and appreciate today that Jesus' righteousness is mine? Look at the middle of verse 13. One thing I do. Look, okay, and you're saying, good, I need a to-do list. I need to get out of here with something to do. Forget what lies ahead and strayed. I read it incorrectly. Forget what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the goal of the Christian life? To press into Christ more and more as life goes on. To do, forget my liabilities, forget my religion, forget my shame, forget my guilt, forget my sin. That stuff doesn't matter. It's Jesus. I need to forget my liabilities and recognize what I gain. I gain Christ. Because I have gained Christ, I can afford to do what he called us to do in Philippians 2.5. Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. He suffered and died for you. So what he calls us to do is, since I am righteous in Christ, since I have already gained the victory, since Jesus has made me his own, I can afford to serve you, and you can afford to serve others. Because Jesus has already done all the work. Let's finish reading in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. That is what? What does maturity mean in the Christian life? Pressing on into Jesus. See, some of us thought maturity was, I'm really good at being good. That's wrong. What is really good at being good gets you called in Philippians 3? A dog. Maturity is what? Really good at saying Jesus is good. How good are you? I'm pretty lousy. This is what you're going to discover. The older that you get, the more you know Jesus. You're not very good at getting better. Now, certainly, Christ is going to do work in you, and he's going to change you, and you're going to grow. But in the span of eternity, here, you see the, the eternity line here? Let me show you how much you're going to grow. So do you see it between the fingers? And, and you're going to take your pride in that. I'm going to take what Jesus did. He gave us eternity. That's what we're going to do. Those who are mature have this mind. Christ is my righteousness. And so, therefore, my mind can get off of myself and it can be on others. Think like Paul. Strain for glory by serving others like Jesus. Okay. How do I know if I think like Paul, if I think like Jesus? God will make that known to you. Yeah, we've got a little bit of time because it's not one, right? Seahawk game at 120. Okay, so we're good. That's terrible. That was mind on earthly things, I know. John 16, I think it'll be up on your screen. John 16, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. I'm going to start in verse 5. I think it starts in verse 4 on the screen. Now, Jesus says this. Now, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Who's the helper? It's the Holy Spirit. That's right. 
So Jesus says, if I go away, the Holy Spirit will come to you. But if I go, I will send him, that is the Holy Spirit to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sins, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. So you're wondering, how do I know if my life is fixed on Christ or on my own things? The Holy Spirit will make it known to you. And you said, well, that seems a little vague. I would prefer a to-do list. Let's just, and, you, and somebody's, no, that's not what I'm saying. Yes, you are. I want a religious to-do list so I can know if I'm doing it right. And the Bible says you get us Holy Spirit. And you say, but how do I know? The Holy Spirit will tell you. Well, I'd rather know if I can check off my boxes. The Holy Spirit is not a box you get to check off of. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, and he will make known to you through his word and through relationship with others and by making known in your own heart, this needs to be changed by the power of Christ. You are selfish. You are greedy. You are envious. Whatever your pet sin is. Did I get them all? Those are some of the big ones. He says, so what? I have to wait on the Lord to show me what I'm supposed to do? Well, yeah. I don't know how to say that different. Yes, of course we wait on the Lord. But again, many of us would have a much greater comfort with, but what about, what about let's just get the top 10 things I'm supposed to do, top 10 things I'm not supposed to do. How about this? Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. He will make known to you what sin is in your life. He will make known to you what good things you ought to be doing in your life. And you say, well, when have I seen that? All the time. You disobey him when you sin because you tell the Holy Spirit, no, I want to do it anyway. And then there are good things you know you're supposed to do and you don't do them, right? Great, now it's weird. I, it's just me. Then, so where's the Holy Spirit? He's the one you've been arguing with. Well, I don't need to do that. Oh, it's okay if I do this. It's not that big a deal. And the Holy Spirit is going, um, I have an opinion on this matter. And you say, well, I don't hear him. You might have to listen. You have to tune your ears. How do I tune my ears? There's a big book that was written, and it helps you know what God sounds like. It looks like this, in mine anyway. And I'm being sarcastic to make a point, aren't I? This is, this is the answer, and we don't like this. We want to know, how do I be a good Christian? And Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I have made you righteous. Listen to him. He will show you where your life doesn't line up with the gospel. He will show you what obedience looks like. He will show you what living, pressing into me looks like. Pursue the Spirit by, the prayer, by prayer and the Word. Okay, a couple of quick questions. We're going to end with this. Okay. Number one, are you really sensitive to sin? Do you have high sin sensitivity? You've got to answer that in your own heart. You've got to answer that in your own mind. Yeah? Okay, well, that's totally wrong. Do you have high religious sensitivity? So if somebody comes into work, let's, let's put it this way. Somebody comes into work, and they tell you the story of what they did over New Year's weekend. Some of you got to hear some of these stories. They were good. You're like, wow, how are you not in jail? I'm a mandatory reporter. I think I have to make a phone call, right? And so this person comes and tells you this story, and you, are do, you do what all religious people do. Oh, okay, let's go. I hope you find Jesus. And then in the back of your mind, you're going, I am so glad. 
I, those days are behind me. Okay, so that's, you've got a real high sin sensitivity and a real low religious sensitivity. And Paul in Philippians 3 says, have a high religious sensitivity. Sin doesn't keep people out of heaven. Jesus died to forgive us of our sin. Religion keeps a whole bunch of people out of heaven. And we're worried about the world acting like the world. Paul is worried about religious people not getting their righteousness in Jesus. Listen, you're going to see sin all day long. You know what it is. Simmer down. Jesus forgives it. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the truth. But we need to understand how offensive it is to the cross to say good Christians ought to be good Christians. Good Christians are good because Jesus is good. Don't miss Jesus. So what's your religious sensitivity like? Okay, next question. What's the goal of your Christian life? Have you ever written down a goal for your Christian life? Here's the goal for your Christian life from the scripture. Are you ready? Go to heaven. That's all. That's it. Anyway, um, you say, well, that, well, no, it should not be a, a goal for my Christian life is to live a blessed life now. Isn't the goal for my Christian life to be, no, what's, what's Paul's goal for his Christian life? Life is later. The life I was destined to live is not today. The life I was destined to live is with Christ forever. The goal of my Christian life is the glory of Christ for all of eternity. You can have today. You can have it. What's today amount to? Suffering for Jesus? Just plain suffering, so you may as well suffer for Jesus, right? The problem we have with the idea of the goal of our Christian life being heaven is we think heaven will be lame. Heaven is not going to be lame. Yes, it's going to be the presence of God for all of time. It is everything you and I were ever made to do and enjoy. Finally. Finally. The goal of our Christian life is glory of Christ forever. All right, finally, the last question. We're going to end with this. You're welcome. What are you straining for? Think of your life. What is it that you are straining for. Paul here today says we have to strain for something. The Bible tells us we have to strain for something, and we're all straining for something. We have a goal. We're going to get it. We're going to go for it. But what are we straining for? What are we putting uh, the prime of our effort into? Is it making Christ our own? Because anything other than that is going to be on the lost side of the accounting ledger. What Paul is saying here, you will not lose if the best of your effort, the best of your resource, the best of your mind, the best of your time is pressed into making Christ your own. But honestly, most of the time, it's the leftovers is where we're straining for Christ. Let's give him the good stuff, the best of our energy. When we're most alert, this is a tip. This isn't in my notes. This runner is well. I, uh, reading my Bible is boring. Yeah, because you do it when you normally sleep. When is your brain most active? When are you most alert? Well, that's when I'm at work. Take a ten. Go to the break room when you're most alert, and give your brain the Bible when it's most able to get it. A lot of us will take our Bible to bed. We're going okay, to go to bed. No. If you do that, you know, good for you. Keep going for it. Because there's nothing puts you out. You need the rest. You need the rest. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then, well, no, I'm reading. And, and that's fine. At least you're going for it. I got no problem with that. But the point is this. He's saying, if I want to make Christ my own, I want to press into the gospel. And the only way I'm going to press into the gospel is to know it. The only way to know it is to read it in his word. So when's the best time to do that? When can I do that? All right. From here to heaven. Watch out. Look forward. Press on. 